Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on episode 55, The First Messenian War. Previously on Fan of History, we talked about how the Greeks colonized the Mediterranean in the latter half of the 8th century BC. So Dan, what is going on this week? We'll spend this whole episode talking about archaic Greek warfare, exemplified by the First Mycenaean War. So this will be a new thing for us. It will be a war story. And there is another one coming very soon. We're going to talk about the Lelantine War. But first I would like to mention that we said that we would continue this narrative until 701 BC. That means there are 11 episodes left. And after that, to continue past 701 BC, we need your help. So if you like this narrative, uh, please uh, support us at patreon.com slash fanohistory with the dollar an episode, if you think that is appropriate. Uh, <laughs> if we get to 30 bucks, we are currently at 16, I think, we will continue past 701 BC. And we will make the decision when the Cimmerians invade. The horse people of the Russian steppes will sweep down and attack the civilizations of the Middle East. And that will happen, happen seven episodes from now. And if we haven't reached 30 bucks by then, we will start thinking about what kind of history we will cover instead. Because the podcast will continue. And we'll, uh, because that is the reason we chose such a general name for the podcast, because we want to be able to cover other periods of history and other historical events. And that's what we'll do, because we'll interpret that as uh, that you don't like the narrative enough. <laughs> we'll do something <laughs> else. And uh, at that point, I will also revise the Patreon uh, and add other goals then. 
So seven episodes left until we abandon this, and then eleven episodes until the destruction of Sennacherib itself, which is a fairly epic thing. But now we're going to talk about Greeks, Greece, Greeks, Greece and Greeks. <laughs> and of course, the first thing, what's the first thing you think about when you think about ancient Greek warfare? I think of the phalanx. Yes, and the phal- phalanx doesn't exist yet. Uh, the phalanx was actually used in uh, almost 1500 years before this Sargon of Akkad. That fantastic guy, he used phalanxes. And we have evidence of phalanxes from uh, Mesopotamia. But it doesn't exist in Greece yet. And we will in this episode find some contrary evidence to this. But it is the general uh, idea that the Greeks don't know how to fight in phalanxes yet. So we will... Mm. This is archaic Greek warfare. Very different from ancient Greek warfare. So then we have to look at what, uh, how the Greeks fight them. Right. Uh, they're still very good fighters. They do have a lot of iron. So they have iron weapons. And uh, they, it's hard to fight in the hills. You usually fight in the open country. You fight with spears and swords. Mm-hmm. If you are wealthy, you even have armor. But the majority of men have linen or leather jerkins. And it's also very common to fight at distance with slings or javelins. It's of course great to be a cavalryman, but there are very few horses in Greek in Greece at this time. So uh, if somebody can muster some cavalry, it's great, but very few city-states can. And of course, being a cavalryman is not good if your opponent is up on a hill. Uh, so generally then, every grown man that can afford weapons and armor will fight for his city-state. And uh, the, yep. I'll say that makes sense because it's just you out there. You got no one else to rely on. Yes, and we, we clearly see the seeds for phalanx warfare here because you are very dependent on your fellow citizens. And the reason, one of the reasons you will fight for your city-state is what happens to your city-state when it loses war. So the general tradition then is that if somebody dies on the battlefield, the enemy will kill him. You don't tend to the wounded. You kill the enemy. You take all his stuff. So, uh, pitched battles are rare because they are really dangerous. And warfare tends to degenerate into prolonged guerrilla fighting. And that's also because of all the mountains. So when you see a superior enemy force, it's easy to sneak into the mountains and disappear. So you will only fight if you outnumber the enemy. But if you outnumber the enemy, the enemy will sneak into the mountains and disappear. So often you can't find the enemy when you have a superior force and then you go to their city or their farms preferably because city often has a wall and then you destroy all their farms and burn their crops and (laughs) haha! What are you going to do now? (laughs) So warfare is very dangerous and the entire population is at risk. 
And the we haven't seen Homer yet. He will soon appear in our story. But uh, the the legends of the Dark Age are everywhere. And people think about the Trojan War. And we have this hero ideal. And your personal courage is extremely valued. Like if you show your bravery, all your fellow citizens will love you. And we have some words from the Spartan poet Tyrtaeus. All right. Oh, let me see if I can summon this poetic spirit. You are a Spartan, remember? I'm that. a Spartan. I will be proud Spartan. To die, falling in battle, a brave man fighting for his fatherland is honorable. But to leave one's city and its rich fields and live as a beggar is the depth of misery. Nice one. Uh, very briefly, I want to mention naval warfare because the Greeks have shipped their great sailors. Mm -hmm. But it's not... So who are you going to fight with your navy? You can only fight like other navies or use it for piracy. And that's very common. The ships are not the ships of ancient Greece. They are much more primitive. They carry sail, but they are rowed into battle by single banks of oarsmen. So definitely no triremes yet. Uh, the keel beam of the low hull was extended to form a thin ram. We have side decks on the ships serving as platform for marines. And uh, of course, merchant ships are much uh, simpler. They're broad beam sailing ships and they just have to run away from the warships. <laughs> right. And as we have established, the Spartans are uh, the best fighters in Greece. The Dorians are generally better fighters than the Achaeans, but uh, Sparta is ahead of the pack. And Sparta doesn't care for the sea, so they don't have a navy. They think navies are for wimps. <laughs> uh, there is, of course, uh, as people live in city-states with walls, the Greeks have to care about siege warfare. And uh, most cities have mud-brick walls. Uh, we have such a mud-brick wall preserved at a place called Halleis. Uh, they, and you would think that they had sort of, th these are the Greeks, they are clever. You would think right. that they had thought about siege warfare and siege engines and stuff. But normally they don't. Uh, they, they are not very good at besieging cities. And I think that's because they, their goal is not to take the enemy city. It might be nice to raise the enemy city and sort of take everybody as slaves or sell them and stuff. But it's not the main goal of the war. So, because you're not going, the city-states don't want to form empires or nations. And the Dorians pride themselves on not having walls, and Sparta famously had no walls. Uh, but we will see that other Dorians, they have like, oh, well, these walls, they're pretty neat. So they're <laughs> built walls. Uh, and we even have some Dorian people still in Greece that don't even have a city-state yet. So they are still herdsmen, so they don't have walls because they don't have anything to put a wall around. But if there is a siege, because there are sieges, the way to win the siege is that yeah, food runs out pretty much 
in the city you're besieging. Yeah, they'll give because, up. <laughs> and because they will not give up. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, if there is a siege and you really, really hate your enemy, uh, what you will do if you win is that you massacre the men and you enslave the women and children. Yikes. Or you, if you're really nice, you could evict them and maybe use them as colony fodder and send them to colonies. But of course, you don't want to offend the gods. So if there is a temple in this city you you are raising, uh, you are going to spare the temple. And you will also have a religious duty not to mutilate the corpses of the enemy. You actually have a duty to bury the enemy. So you will kill the wounded enemy, but you will bury him. Because not burying your enemies, wow, the gods will really hate you. <laughs> the Greeks are becoming Hellenes. They are forgetting about their Dorian or Achaean identity, but the Dorians are forgetting slower than the Achaeans. <laughs> and some Dorians will be very proud of their warrior ancestry. And of course, the Spartans are a great example here as well. Because the Dorians did invade Greece between 1200 and 800 BC then, and they still feel kind of a kinship to other Dorians. But they also feel rivalry with other Dorians. Like Argos will always be the rival of Sparta. If you ask the people in Argos, they are like the prime warrior state of Dorians, and the Spartans are the upstarts. <laughs> and we will see in this war we are going to cover the First Mycenaean War is that it's a conflict between Dorian states. Because the Mycenaeans are also Dorians. We talked about Sparta in three full episodes. Sparta at this time then, is uh, they have conquered Lacedaemon. And this is very different from other Greek city-states. The Spartans have formed kind of kingdom focused around the city of Sparta. But Sparta has a lot of land around it. Sparta has two kings. Uh, one of them is Polydorus. He is the king, one of the kings at the start of the war. We have the Council of Elders, we have the Ephors, we have all the warrior spirit in Sparta. And we probably have about 6,000 fighting equals in Sparta in 700 BC. So that's probably close to the number we have in this war. So if we look at the enemy then, the Mycenaeans. Mycenae is to the far west of Greece. Uh, and uh, Mycenae is divided between different peoples. And the Dorians that once invaded Mycenae, they hold the inland plains and the eastern hills. We see here the same attitude as the Spartans. We don't want the sea, we don't want the coastal area. We want the plains and the hills. And Dorian Mycenae is probably the middle land of Mycenae, which is surrounding the plain of Stenoclarus. Uh, the Dorians of Mycenae, they have fought their way to the coast, probably by the river plain at the head of the gulf in Mycenae. And the other non-Dorian people in Mycenae, they are really scared of the Mycenaeans. The Mycenaeans also retain the Dorian custom of having two kings. So they have two kings, just like Sparta. The kings are named Androcles and Antiochus. 
Antiochus is an interesting name because that's the name of later Hellenistic monarchs from uh, post-Alexander times. But here's a guy called Antiochus, which surprised me quite a bit. Hmm. That's a name you'll hear a lot in Roman history when they are discussing their Hellenistic enemies. Uh, dating this war is really complicated, and I will not in go into details, but having read a lot about it, my belief is that this war is lasting for 20 years and it starts it, it, the war the, those 20 years are sometimes between 740 and 710 BC so I decided to put it here in the 730s BC but uh, it's not reliably dated the only way you know the most reliable dating in Greek in Greece at this time is the Olympic Games and we will find an Olympic victor in this story that we have already talked about. Remember, the Mycenaeans won plenty of Olympics in the 8th century BC. But now we have to talk about how the Dorians and the Spartans, how they got into this fight, why they started a 20-year-long war. There has to be a good reason, right? Yeah. Spend that much resources. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a huge drain on both uh, states. And to understand why this happened, we have to look at an incident that happened a generation before at the Dorian temple of Artemis Limnatis. There was an incident at this temple. Uh, the temple of Artemis Limnatis was a Dorian sanctuary. So you could only go there if you were Dorian. So we don't want any Athenians or Ionians or uh, low life like that in the temple. And it's located in the mountains between Messenia and Sparta. So both Messenians and Spartans are visiting this temple to make sacrifices to Artemis Limnatis. And at the time of this incident then, Mm -hmm. We have conflicting reports about what happened at uh, this temple. There were some Spartan virgins and some Messenians at the temple at the same time. And the Spartans, they are claiming that these Messenian guys at the temple, they raped the Spartan virgins. And the Spartan virgins were accompanied by a Spartan king, Telechios who was like going on this religious journey with a lot of virgins. That sounds suspicious. <laughs> but he's also murdered. What? And that's the Spartan version. Like we had this king with all these girls. Says, ah, let's go to the temple and then but kill the king, rape the virgins. Wow. And something doesn't ring true about this story because there is a generation between this incident and the war. So, and if you... You think the Spartans would claim would like to take revenge earlier than this? Yeah. But uh, then we have to look at the Messenian version of the incident. And the Messenians are claiming that these were not Spartan virgins because it was a trick. The Spartans took, remember, you had to be an equal to have a beard in Sparta. Ah, that's right. So the virgins were beardless soldiers in training. They were young guys from Sparta who were masquerading as virgins. 
And they were led by King Telekios in a commando raid. Because they knew that the Mycenaean guys were actually the Mycenaean aristocracy, the, the rich people of Mycenae. And if they could murder all these important Mycenaeans who were going to the temple, then Sparta would have a big advantage over Mycenae. But turns out that young beardless Spartans are no match for the strong Mycenaean men. So the Mycenaean men were attacked and ambushed by these youngsters, but they just killed them all, including kill the king of Sparta. And this was never settled, so it was a, a thorn in the side in the relationship between the Spartans and the Mycenaeans, but the war did not start here. But it did happen uh, in some way, and this was the versions, and they were like, oh, those stupid Mycenaeans, or those stupid Spartans. So it was like a prerequisite for the war, but it didn't cause the war, because the war was caused by a totally different uh, incident. So involving. it wasn't that? <laughs> no, that didn't start a war, and it, it sounds like a much better reason to start a war than uh, this actual incident that started the war. And it involves an Olympic victor. We mentioned him before. It's Polycarus. He won the Olympics for Messenia. So he is a very prized citizen of Messenia. And he is uh, trying to live his life. You know, the life of athletes, uh, the athletic life ends very early. And he's going to spend all his life being this prized Olympic victor. And he's doing business. He's like living his life. And he has a lot of cattle. So he decides that he needs some grazing land for his cattle. Sure. And there is some nice grazing land on the border between Messina and Sparta. So he decides to lease this land from a guy called Eulfnos. Eulf? His name is impossible to pronounce. Eulfnos. How would you pronounce that? Eulfnos. Yeah, that guy, the Spartan. <laughs> okay. He, he has he owns this grazing land on the Messenian side of the border. And of course there are some holes in this story, like Spartans only had their own lots. So why is this guy owning land on the Messenian side of the border? Right. But uh, okay, they make this agreement. You get to lease this grazing land, bring your cattle, everything is fine. Pay in advance, please. But as soon as Polycarus goes back to Messenia, Eolfnos sells all the cattle to some merchants. Well, that's and... just a jerk move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to wonder where did these merchants come from? They probably come from some other Greek city-state. Because he couldn't have sold it to Messenian merchants and the Spartans had no merchants. But then he, he makes up a story that, oh, there were some pirates coming from the sea and they, they took all the cattle. So, I'm sorry, Polycarus, but the pirates stole your cattle. And if you look at Clause 1715, the piracy theft is not something I <laughs> that is covered in our agreement. <laughs> your cattle is gone. I still have your money. Suck it. <laughs> But there was a witness to this event. There was a herdsman nearby uh -oh. who saw what happened. 
And he reports this to Polycarus because he, the herdsman is probably a Mycenaean. So he's like, oh no, our Olympic victor. I love that guy. So he goes to Polycarus, tells the full story that this, this devious Spartan sold your cows or your lambs or your whatever it was, goats probably, to, uh, to some merchants. So Polycarus is really mad, naturally, of course. And um, so he, he says, he, he confronts Eothnos and says, I know what happened. You sold my cattle. Give me the money. And Eothnos is like, oh, you caught me, Polycarus. I actually <laughs> did sell your cattle to some merchants. And I have the money, but it's in Sparta. Because that's where it's safe. So I have to go back to Sparta and get the money, and then I will give the money to you. Huh. Um. <laughs> yeah, Polychorus, pretty suspicious at this point. Yeah, I would be too. <laughs> this is another scam. So he decides that he needs to send his son together with Elfnos to see that there is no trickery to follow Elfnos to Sparta take the money, return to Messenia. So Eolfnos and Polycarus' son goes to Sparta. And as soon as they get over on the Spartan side of the border, Eolfnos kills the son. Uh, and I guess wow. at this point he would lose his land in Messenia. <laughs> <laughs> that is terrible. <laughs> Yeah, so now Polycarus is super angry because he got his cattle stolen. Now his son has been murdered. But there is a proper way to deal with this. And Polycarus is a proper person. So he petitions the Spartan magistrates for justice. Okay. He sends a formal complaint to the Spartan state. And of course the Spartan state is expected to deal with this. This is a crime. And Sparta knows how to deal with crimes. But it takes a long time for Sparta to deliver an answer, a reply to Polycarus. And he's really mad. So he's like, he's probably stalking the land that Eolfnos owns to see if he returns. But he, he is really angry. And then some random Spartans come across the border, probably herdsmen. And he can't handle this rage, so he kills some random Spartans. Like, you are paying for Ialfnos' mistakes. And uh, he likes this. It feels good to murder the Spartans. <laughs> and he's huh. a physically powerful guy, so he can just take out some herdsmen. That's not a problem for him. Uh, so he becomes a serial killer in the, in the border mountains. Wow. And now the Spartan state reacts because Spartans have been killed. And they send a formal complaint to Messenia, to the Messenian state, to the magistrates in Messenia. And they demand Polycarus extradited. Like, send Polycarus to us and we will give him some good old Spartan justice. And uh, Messenia actually replies timely and says that, oh, this is very bad. Polycarus has overstepped his bounds. We will extradite him to you. But we need 
Ealfnos because he's also criminal. So we will give him some uh, Messenian justice in return. So the probably outcome of this then is that Polycarus and Ealfnos will both be killed. And that's the sort of Messenian proposal here. But Sparta doesn't think that's a good idea, so they decide to send a delegation to Messenia to argue their case. And I have no idea why they would want to protect the Alfnos, because he is clearly in the wrong here. Right. But they send, um, they send a delegation, they come to Messenia, and they talk to the Messenian magistrates, including both the Messenian kings. And King Androcles, he -hmm. decides that Polycarus has messed up, he needs to get some Spartan justice. I will extradite him. But the other Messenian king is like, no, this is unfair, we want to Alfnos. And then a very heated discussion occurs among the Messenian magistrates. And weapons are drawn, and the Messenians start fighting each other. And somebody kills King Androcles, the guy who was for extraditing Polycarus. He's like, oh, you can't extradite our Olympic victor. <laughs> and <laughs> Antiochus is victorious then. He is not for extraditing Polycarus. But he has another proposal for the Spartan delegation, who is just standing there. And they're like, oh, what is going on? <laughs> they're all just murdering each other. And he says that I will send messengers to other city-states and we will let them decide this matter because we are all partial. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In this question. So we get some wise guys from other city-states and they will render judgment on this conflict. And the Spartan delegation is like, well, that sounds fair. Let's go back to Sparta. But then we have the same problem as before. Things in the archaic world takes a long time. 
So a few months pass by and the Spartans feel that, oh no, the Messenians are ignoring us. It was all a ruse. They don't care about us. They have offended our honor. Let's go to war. This is the cause of the war. In the official story written by the victors. Uh-huh. But wow. there is probably another cause for this war that the Spartans are very silent about. Uh, all the city-states are growing, as we explained in the last episode. Every other city-state is solving it by establishing colonies. Messenia is also establishing colonies. But the mm-hmm. Spartans are not, because they want their lands to connect to each other. They don't care about the sea. And they want Messenia. They want to conquer Messenia. So they need a causes bellum. Is that the English term? Um, a reason to go to war. An excuse to go to war. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're saying. And, mm. uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, is just, there an English word? I'm trying to think. If I, it'll, it'll come up to me in a second, but go ahead and, <laughs> and continue. All right. So, um, and it, if you look at Spartan history, you will see that they have this lust for land almost exactly as long as the other Greek city states are colonizing. So they have the same overpopulation problem as everybody else. They just solve it in a different way. And they decide then in Sparta that we are not going... We, we didn't receive any settlement for the murder of Spartan citizens. Uh, so we will invade. And we will invade without the former heraldic notification of a war. Which is important then. But we will be sneaky. And we will just invade and surprise those damn Messenians will send no warning but this is important this is like the most important thing ever so this conflict has really escalated at this point so everybody who goes which includes all the fighting men in Sparta everyone is going for this war and it will be quick as all wars are supposed to be at the start so in order for that nobody chickens out and goes back to their farm. We have to swear a solemn oath before we go. And the, the content of this oath is that you, none of us, can return to Sparta before we have destroyed Messene, Messenia, taken it, or we're all dead, uh, at which point we can't go back to Sparta anyway. <laughs> so, but nobody goes back to Sparta. Until we win. And this seems insane. (laughs) And it's everybody. All the fighting equals of Sparta have to go on this war because they need everybody if they're going to win. These are tough Dorian opponents. And they all swear this oath. So none of them can go back to Sparta. The war is going to last for 20 years. That's insane. (laughs) Yes. And it will cause some problems. But this is supposed to go quickly. So the Spartan invasion force uh, crosses the mountains, sneak into Messenia, and there's a town called Amphea. 
and this is under Messinian control because the Messinians have obviously been conquering a bit themselves. Uh, not normal for Greek city-states, but the Messinians, hmm, they have done this. The location of this city is still debated because it's not going to last. <laughs> uh, and it seems that the Messinians are, or the people of Amphia before the Messinians came, they have built a wall. But they don't expect an attack because there would be a heraldic notification before a war started. So the doors to Amphia, the gates of the city, are open. And the Spartans arrive at night. So they run in through the open gates. They are in Amphia. And then they start butchering all the men in Amphia. So they pretty much run into the houses and start killing people. Uh, some people notice what's going on and flee to the temples. And the Spartans are like, oh, these are temples to... They're like Dorian in character. They're to our gods. The gods will not approve of this. So everybody who runs into temple is spared. Some people, of course, flee the city. Right. But the Spartans sack the city and turn it into a war camp. And they take all the women and children of Amphia as slaves. And any guys who survived by hiding in temples, they are sort of allowed to become slaves instead of dying. And Amphia has fallen to the Spartans. Uh, the Messenian capital is on the plain of Stenikleros, which roughly means rough acres. <laughs> That's, that doesn't seem very appealing. Uh, and the capital is called that, Stenikleros. And its location is also unknown, which is, of, co of course, a bad sign for how this war is going to go. <laughs> but the news of the fall of Amphia reaches Stenikleros. And um, they have a new king. Ephes, you face. Oh, those Greek names. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you face. We'll call him that. that He's the son fun. of Antiochus, and he makes a speech to the people of Messenia. All right, let me get my you uh, face voice on. Be true in the hour of need. The justice of the gods are on our side because we did not attack first. And it seems that the Messenians had been slacking in their weapon practice, so they now start a, a really strict training regiment because they know that the Spartans are really dangerous, but they are also Dorians and they are fighters. They place every man in Messenia under arms, and King Euphes has a plan. We are going to hide behind the walls. We are going to defend ourselves. The Spartans can't run around in Messenia forever. So we will hide behind walls. We'll build new fortifications. We'll garrison them. And we will not fight the Spartan army in the open field. So this is kind of like the Urartu defense plan against Assyria. <laughs> uh, and this, of course, will prolong the war. Oh, yeah. There were, in both city-states, critical voices against this war. Some people realized that this is probably a really bad idea. 
and especially in uh, Messenia, they think that we should go for a peaceful settlement. Uh, the king and others are like the Spartans will not. They attacked us without notification. They are not going to. They are going to lie. We can't have a peaceful settlement with them. And the people who argued for a peaceful settlement were eventually banished into a colony. So they were put in Regium uh, in Italy, I think. Yes. Wow. So they were sent to colonize Regium. But the Spartans also questioned this thing. They, hey, we'd like to go back to Sparta. <laughs> right, exactly. Why are we attacking our Dorian brothers? But King Polydorus of Sparta had a reply to his Spartan brothers. He said, We march against a land that is not divided into lots. Yes, and this was super important to the Spartans. They felt that they were pure, they were equal, and the Dorians of Messenia had corrupted themselves. So the, the peaceful parties in both cities lost, and the war continued. Of course, this is, uh, as I said, several hundred years before the Greeks actually record what happened. So the details are unclear. We know that this war lasted for 20 years. We know that we have a Spartan army that could not return to Sparta. But they could, like, return to the Spartan mountains and to, like, Lacedonian villages that were in Sparta's control and stuff. So they, they could, like, go back and rest but they could not go to Sparta. And the Messenian army is hiding behind their walls. And of course, the account I'm going to give you now and everything I said before this has a huge legendary influence on it that we, we, it's very hard to prove that any of this happened. But we do have the details of a large battle outside of Amphia, this Messenian city that had been turned into Spartan war camp. And there are, of course, problems with this account, but now we're going to talk about the Battle of Amphia. When the Messenians finally decide to face the Spartans in open battle, training is finished, we have to get these Spartans out of our country. They are obviously staying. They have to die. So, on the Messenian side, we have King Euphes commanding the Messenian left flank. Mm -hmm. A guy called Cleonis is commanding the Messenian center. And a guy called Pythartos is commanding the right of this Messenian field army. On the Spartan side, you have the two kings. None of them can return home. It's Polydorus and Theopompus. And uh, who is going to command the center? Like, we are both kings. We are equal kings. This is hard. <laughs> right. And later the Spartans, much later, the Spartans will decide that they can't do this. They can't send both kings on a campaign because it will lead to problems. But here they have, and Polydorus and Theopompus are reasonable Spartans, so they decide to take a flank each. And put another Spartan in command of the center, probably someone who was really good at commanding forces. And he is Eurelion. So Eurelion is commanding the Spartan center and kings are on each side. There is some accounts of a speech by Theopompus. When he speaks to the Spartans, he, he talks about glory, wealth, 
under oath pretty much we have to win this otherwise you can never ever go home to your wives and your families and your city then the spartans are okay that's a pretty good case we are going to win <laughs> yeah. this battle whereas king euphas of messenia he talks to the Messenians and he talks about the threat of death or slavery. Remember what happened to the citizens of that city over there, Amphaea, now the Spartan war camp. And both sides decide that this battle is going to happen. In archaic battles, if one side decides that the battle is not going to happen, it's not going to happen. They are going to hide in the mountains. But both sides attack! And uh, the Spartans are very good at discipline. We talked about this so much, that the way the Spartans are brainwashed. And that is not... Uh, there, there is... The Messenians are not as good at, at this. So the Spartans will not break their rank. They will die fighting. So the Spartans are holding their line. And that sounds to me... Like a phalanx, right? It's very close. But uh, no, there are no phalanxes. But the Spartans are impossible to get to run away. And eventually the Messenians have to run away. And of course, when you run, you get slaughtered. So the battle is a Spartan victory. And the Messenians decide to go back to this fortification. And they, build, um, they fortify on Mount Ithome. As like, this is the super fortress that will hold until the Spartans decide to go home. So they build this massive fortress on Mount Ithome and it becomes the focus of Messenian defense. And then they decide to send a delegation to the Oracle at Delphi. Hey, the Spartans are being really obnoxious. What should we do? <laughs> and the Oracle, high on the fumes, <laughs> says that... Uh, uh, it's, we don't have the exact words. They are probably much, uh, much more <laughs> non-precise. But uh, the, the gist of it is that sac the sacrifice of a royal virgin is the key to Messenian success. So you have to find a royal virgin in Messenia. And they decide that uh, uh, Aristodemus is a Messenian hero with royal blood. And he has this virgin daughter. So let's sacrifice her. And they do. Wow. So daughter of Aristodemus, bad day for her. But what do the Spartans care about? What is the, one of their biggest beliefs? Well, they believe that the Oracle is right. <laughs> yes, they are these... Huge fanboys of the Oracle of Delphi. Remember, they always have a Spartan close to the Oracle that can record anything she says. Yes. To the Oracle's great fear. <laughs> but now they, they hear this, that, wow, they were supposed to sacrifice a royal virgin, and they actually did. They killed that girl. We're going to lose this war. We can't attack their mountain. And what do we do? So let's just hang around in the countryside and steal stuff and uh, keep fighting a guerrilla warfare. <laughs> so the war is prolonged even more by this. And it takes 
several years before the Spartans managed to muster their courage again and uh, really focus, take everybody, put them in an army, stop the guerrilla fighting and march into Messenia. And the Messenians, they also remember this sacrifice they made several years before. So they are like, wow, we are ensured of victory. We have to take the field again. It didn't work out last time, but this time the oracle said we are okay. So the Messenians march out from their mountain fortress to fight the Spartans. And uh, the king, Euph probably Euphas, the guy we talked about before. Mm -hmm. He's killed in this battle. Uh, Aristodemus is made the new Messenian king. Probably during the battle, he was next in line. And he rallies the Messenian forces and they win the battle. Wow. Just like the oracle said, and the Spartan army has to flee into the mountains. And the Spartans are like, oh, the oracle was right. We can't beat these guys. What do we do now? <laughs> we can't go home. We can't beat them. So let's go talk to the Oracle. And make <laughs> her change her mind. Uh, so they do. And the Oracle delivers some nonsense reply. Then that the Spartans <laughs> interpret as, Okay, now we're in the clear. We gave the Oracle all that cash. All <laughs> <laughs> right. We seem to have applied money directly to the wound and it stopped the bleeding. <laughs> yes. And now we can win. So let's invade Messenia once again. And the Messenians are like, wow, we won the last battle. Let's face them in open battle again. But this time the Spartans are convinced that the Oracle is on their side. So now they don't have any fears. And the Spartans win this third battle. And the Messenian reverses are so great that Aristodemus commits suicide. And up on this suicide, the Messenian forces abandon the mountain fortress and tries to flee Messenia. So the Messenian, the Messenian men run away from their country and flee to their colonies. And Spartas won the war. And King Theopompus marches around in Messenia and famously says that he occupied Messene, spacious for dancing. <laughs> Which uh, they were dancing around there, celebrating their victory. They reduce any surviving men in Messenia to helots, to these uh, Spartan-style slaves. They divide the good land of Messenia into lots for 3,000 Spartans. And then they can finally go home to Sparta after 20 years in the field. Imagine that. You spent all your adult life. Right. If you were fighting equal, you were 30 years old when this war started. They had to have sent more. <laughs> There's no way. That's yeah, they, they, they have. Their kids, when they uh, turned old enough, they have shown up for this conflict and taken the same oath. So what's, what's Sparta like when they finally get home? It's got to be way different. Yeah, it's, it has been run by women. Right. The Spartan women ran Sparta for 20 years. 
and the Spartan women grew tired of waiting. And there was a lot of hot sleigh boys around. <laughs> and uh, the Periochii, right? The, the people that Sparta had conquered, they hadn't taken this oath. I bet a lot of them was invo- were involved in the fighting as well. But there were men around. Right. And when the Spartan army returns, they see a lot of children in Sparta that are less than 20 years old. Dun, dun, dun. So they're like, no, you cheated on us. We were out there doing that glorious war and we won. And this is the reward we get. And the Spartan women are like, you crazy (laughs) bastards. You left us for 20 years. You think we'd wait for you? (laughs) And uh, the Spartan men are chastised. They're like, oh, maybe that was a bad oath. Maybe we shouldn't have taken that oath. We're sorry. But then they have the problem what to do with all these bastard children. We have a whole generation of bastard children in Sparta. And this is the reason that Sparta founds its colony. So finally, and for one time, the only time in history that Sparta decides to colonize is now. We have to send all the bastard children (laughs) and probably some adults to help them establish a colony. Right. And the women are like, oh, you're sending away our children. Well, you better see that they get a good life. So the Spartans, they really probably want to kill all the children, but they can't because their wives are telling them no. Right. (laughs) So they decide to found a colony in Taras. Uh, also called Tarentum, if you know your Roman history, Tarento in Italy. Hmm. This place will become a really important Greek city-state in later than this. But it is founded by the bastard children of Sparta, or at least this is the story the Spartans tell about why they founded a colony. And that is the Mycenaean War. I have a couple of other things I want to talk about about Greece while we are focusing on Greece. But that's the whole war. We have a great oracle from Delphi, a saying of the oracle of Delphi that I just have to cover. Uh, It's uh, paid for by the men of Aegium. This is a small city-state and they are like feeling inferior to the powerful city-states such as Argos and Corinth and Sparta. So they decide to go to the Oracle and it's not recorded what they ask. But I think they ask like, hey, what are we good for? Are we good at anything? Tell us something good about us. And here is the reply from the Oracle. Of all the so- of all the soils, Pelasic Argos is best. The horses of Thrace, the women of Sparta, the men who drink the water of fair Arethusa, but better than these are those who dwell between Tarinus and Arcadia, rich in flock, the Argives of the linen corslet, pricks of war. But you, 
men of Agium are neither third nor fourth nor twelfth nor an account nor reckoning. That's such a major burn from the Oracle. They <laughs> obviously did not pay enough money for that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they're like... These, the women of Sparta, the men of Argos, they are like the best things that Greece, Greece can offer. But you guys, you just suck. <laughs> but important here is to note that they say that Argos is the best place in Greece. So, and Argos is a Dorian city-state. It's probably the strongest state in mainland Greece since 730 BC. And it is already in conflict with Sparta. Uh, they have tried to help the Achaean city-state of Helos against Sparta earlier. But Sparta conquered Helos and made them into Helots. Uh, so Argos is mad at Sparta. Sparta is strong, but Argos is stronger. This rivalry will last for centuries. Uh, there are accounts that Argos did try to save the Messenians at the end of the war, but they obviously did not succeed. But remember bad blood between Argos and Sparta about who is the, the best Dorian city-state. Uh, I call this the first Messenian war, and that's of course because there are other Messenian wars, which is kind of surprising because the, the state of Messenia doesn't exist anymore. Right, seemed pretty uh, uh, wiped out. We'll uh, talk about them. The Second Messenian War lasts between 685 and 668 BC. The Third Messenian War is in 464 to 455 BC. And the Third Messenian War is a huge slave rebellion. And uh, the Spartans are always super scared of slave rebellions. And this is like what the Spartans feared. This is why they have people who are responsible for declaring war on the Spartan slaves. This is why they keep killing the slaves. But this is the Spartan nightmare, the third Messenian war. And uh, yeah, in my ideal world, we'll get to continue this narrative until 464 BC, and then we'll cover the third Messenian war in about 200 episodes, probably. <laughs> but yeah, that's all about the war. All right, well... That is all for this episode. Our next episode, there'll be a new king in Babylon. Tiglath-Pileser III finally realizes who would be a fitting king in Babylon. Can you imagine how hard it has been for me not to talk about Tiglath-Pileser III for two <laughs> episodes? He is still alive. He's my favorite Assyrian king. I haven't even mentioned him. Well, we're mentioning him now as a tease. Yes, but next episode, he will be back in oh, his yeah. full glory. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, don't forget about our Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Also, Facebook slash fanofhistory. And our YouTube. Just go ahead and search for Fan of History on YouTube. Subscribe, like, and share. We'd really appreciate it. Also, give us a review on iTunes. That we love to read. And um, if you want to reach me on Twitter, I'm at Cerulean Says Hi. Also, Dan is at Dan Horning. So, we want to thank you for listening. And for this week, I am Brennan. And I'm Dan. 
And this has been a fan of history. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.